Hello and welcome to the Warden FinTech Podcast. My name is David Gogel, and I am joined today by Daniel Schreiber, the CEO and co-founder of Lemonade, a peer-to-peer insurance startup based in New York. The company offers fast and low-cost homeowners and renters insurance powered by technology, honest culture, and a commitment to social good. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, David. So just to start off, um, we would love to hear about your background and career path that you brought you to launching Lemonade. Sure. Well, I'm a recovering attorney, so you can probably tell the remnants of an English accent. I, I was born and, and bred in, in the UK, in London, and I trained there as an attorney. Um, and I qualified and I lasted about a year as a corporate commercial attorney doing high-tech law. And then um, in the late 90s, I started what was my first startup, and I've been in the tech sector ever since. Great. And so what... Uh... Based, based on your background as an attorney, what really led you to want to launch your own startup, and in particular in the insurance space? It, it's not a natural thing um, for a tech entrepreneur to want to go into insurance. It connotes all the wrong things. It, it's perceived as being dull, as being retrograde, heavily regulated, heavily capital intensive. Um, but myself and my co-founder, Shai Winninger, we were a little bit contrarian. Um, when it comes to that. The very fact that it was so off-putting made it kind of interesting. And insurance, um, once we did start looking into it, um, it wraps together three very enticing things. It is a huge industry, so an industry measured in trillions rather than billions. Um, And it, it is something that impacts just about every person, certainly every household in the nation. So the size of the industry was very enticing. Um, Then you deal with the fact that it's basically remained unchanged, unspoiled by innovation for 100 years. The Fortune 500 is made up 10% of insurance companies, and their average age is just shy of 100 years old. So you've got a huge industry, an industry that has been untouched or unchanged in any profound way for a very long time. Um, And you say, well, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Leave well enough alone. But of course, it's perceived as being deeply broken. Um, it regularly rates as one of the least trusted sectors. Um, people do not trust the insurance company. They perceive insurance as a necessary evil rather than a social good. And for myself and my co-founder, that's kind of triumvirate. Huge industry, unspoiled by innovation, and disliked in its current form was too much to pass up on. But we didn't really know anything about insurance. It's not like we have a background in it. And We both have backgrounds in technology, in tech platforms, in the sharing economy. And we decided to take advantage of our ignorance, so to speak. And we locked ourselves in a a room with a whiteboard um, for a couple of months. And before looking into how insurance actually works, we tried to sketch out how we think it ought to work. It's very difficult to unlearn something once you've learned it. It's very difficult to unthink it. So... We took advantage of the carte blanche that we had when it came to insurance. We had a high school level probability theory and the uh, uh, common perception or common understanding of insurance, but nothing deeper than that. And what we sketched out on that whiteboard some 18 months ago bears more than a passing resemblance to what Lemonade is today. So the, the building blocks of Lemonade were really thought of in somewhat motivated by trying to find a new way of insurance, but also without a deep understanding of the sector at all. 
and so when it sounds like the building blocks that that you know you di- you discussed um, when you first launched Lemonade are those learnings uh, still applicable to the current business model that that you guys have run with, or what what are some of the things that you've learned over time? They are, they are. In broad strokes, um, what we thought was that a tech approach to insurance would have a fundamentally different approach to the business. Not only would it be obviously you know, entirely digital and instantaneous and free of any paperwork or faxes or anything like that, but that it comes with, a, would say, a spiritually different approach than the one the insurance sector has today. When you think in terms of a tech platform, you think about um, transparency, you think about um, a platform approach, and really that brought us to say, well, what we want to do is take a, a flat predictable fee and nothing more than that. And our understanding or our perception, our narrative of what is broken about the insurance sector was that there's a conflict of interest at its core. It's an industry that um, brings out the worst in people for a reason. Insurance companies make money every time they decline a claim. At the end of the day, when you're demanding money from an insurance company, every dollar they can avoid paying you drops to their bottom line. So you end up with a, a business model where there's a conflict of interest at the very core of the sector. It's not something tangential or the way you motivate salespeople. It's the very core of how an insurance company can make money. And to our way of thinking, if you've got at the very core a, a competitive and adversarial relationship with your consumer, where you're fighting them over the very same coin, that's something that is going to be very difficult to overcome and really requires re-architecting the very core business model of fundamentals of the industry. So we wanted to go back and rethink how insurance could work in a way that we take a flat fee. And this is really where Lemonade ended up. When you pay us $100 or $1,000 for your insurance, we take 20% of that. We'll never take more. We never take less. We use your money to pay your claims, and we'll buy reinsurance and make sure it's all covered. But if there's money left over, it's your money, not ours. So that kind of approach which says we're here to provide a service for a predictable fee, and we're managing your money, and we return that money at the end of the period is something of an insight that kind of germinated and became Lemonade from the very beginning and has survived intact throughout the process. So you've identified core issues with the existing industry um, and, you know, Lemonade solution is this this creative business model innovation to offer a flat fee for for coverage with return of premium to to the consumer. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, Lemonade's business model and sort of what makes you unique and different relative to traditional insurance players? Insurance companies typically make money in two ways. Um, They invest what's known as the float. So I take your money today and I may pay it back to you in the future, but in the meantime, it's my money and I'm going to invest it. And you see big investors like Warren Buffett and others skewing towards insurance businesses because they produce this float, which is investable. So that's the first way. And then the second way is insurance companies um, make an underwriting profit, or at least they strive to, which means... I collect a certain amount from you. Hopefully, I pay you less in claims than I've collected in premiums. And there's money left over at the end of the year, and I pocket that money. We, at first approximation, do neither. Um, We collect 
premiums on a monthly basis, so the money stays in your bank account earning interest rather than ours. And if there's money left over at the end of the year, we don't take it. We return it to a cause of your of your choosing. So either way, that money is not going to be left in our pocket. The way we do make money is through a flat 20% ostensibly management fee, which would be very familiar from platforms like you know an eBay or loads of tech platforms, um, rather than from the insurance sector where this is a very unorthodox way of making money. The benefits of it, though, are readily apparent, which is that I never make money by denying your claim. I'm not in conflict with you. In fact, when you make a claim, I have every interest to pay it to you because it's not my money anyway. And just letting the claim drag on just puts us at odds for no benefit to me whatsoever. And hopefully it also changes your behavior. You know, consumers don't behave very well in insurance either. The adversarial relationship really brings out the worst in people and upstanding law-abiding citizens who in other spheres of their life are very well behaved, really let the devil loose when it comes to insurance, in large part because of that adversarial relationship and the distrust that permeates the whole industry. So there's be, it becomes a tit-for-tat kind of relationship where you don't trust me and now I don't trust you. I'm going to embellish my claims. 25% of Americans say it's okay to embellish claims, which is pretty outlandish. And presumably the other 75 were brought up better than to admit that kind of thing to strangers. But then that willingness to embellish claims and to misbehave justifies the insurance companies treating you as a criminal. And whoever started this cycle, it spirals onwards and downwards, and you end up with the, the industry and the state that we know it today. We've been working with uh, Professor Dan Ariely and uh, trying to inculcate behavioral economics into the very fundamental notions of what insurance can be and what lemonade is. And that means neutralizing the adversarial relationship, neutralizing the conflict of interest, establishing a business model that puts your money back in your pocket, brings out the best in the insurance company, hopefully, because as I say, we stand to gain nothing by doing wrong by you, but hopefully also brings out the worst, the best rather in you, because you know that if you embellish your claims, you're not hurting some nameless, faceless behemoth with whom you feel you have an adversarial and distrusting relationship, but you're harming a cause with which, in which you believe. So hopefully we raise the level of trust and that in itself then allows the technology to kick in and to um, require less scrutiny, less policing, and more of a streamlined process where claims can be paid in many cases literally instantaneously. You, you mentioned specifically how you guys are addressing uh, neutralizing the conflicts of interest inherent in the current business model. Your website claims that users can get insured in, in 90 seconds and get paid in uh, three minutes. Can you discuss a little bit about how Lemonade leverages technology such as machine learning or, or chatbots to enhance the customer experience? Absolutely. The, the buying process is entirely bot-based. So today when you buy um, homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance, you're going through a broker. Even if websites have established some kind of, sorry, even if insurers have established some kind of website, invariably it asks you long and, and arduous questions to which you may or may not know the answer, what kind of masonry you, you, your building is built of, uh, what year it was built, a whole bunch of very detailed uh, questions to which you may not know an answer, at the end of which, rather than getting a bindable quote and being able to complete the process, you're told a broker will be in touch. So that's kind of the state of the industry today. With Lemonade, um, having rebuilt the entire stack from scratch and being an insurance company, not just a technology, we are a licensed 
insurance company ourselves. We write the insurance on our own paper. So we own the full stack, the whole vertically integrated business. That means that we can do a lot of the processes that are traditionally done by people. We could architect them from the ground up, since we're legacy free, for it to be done entirely algorithmically. All of our insurance is written algorithmically. Um, the process is done instantaneously. It's done through a chatbot chat um, kind of interface. But you go to Lemonade.com or you download the app, and literally in a matter of seconds, the process is complete. The quote that you get is a binding quote. You take out your credit card, and you're done. Um, I, I say, you know, if you're in Starbucks buying a coffee, by the time you've ordered your letter, if you then take out our app and start the process, you'll buy insurance before the barista has made your coffee. So that's the process. The claims process is, is similar. Um, you'll speak to a bot, um, and it's a chat interface, and you should give it a try even if you're not in the market for insurance. Just go to Lemonade.com and give it a try. You'll see what's involved. Um, and the bot will ask you a few questions. When did the damage happen? What was it? Was it a theft, a burglary, a flood? What, what happened to you? Um, if you have a police report, you just take a photo of it. If you have a receipt, take a photo of it. And otherwise, just point the camera at your face, your, your mobile phone, and speak into the camera. No paperwork, no faxes. Just tell in plain English, tell us what happened. And in the majority of cases, the artificial intelligence will be able to process all of that information, replicate the process that a claims agent would have gone through, and oftentimes approve the claim and pay it instantaneously. So you literally, within three minutes, you can definitely submit a claim, but oftentimes within the same three minutes, the claim will have been processed and quite possibly approved. Now, that won't be true of all claims. Uh, the bot might flag things that it sees as suspicious and will require human oversight. Um, but for many claims, you know, your computer was stolen while you were looking away in the coffee shop um, and other instances like that, the claim may well be able to be paid instantaneously. And we're hoping that that will be the median time for settling claims will be measured in seconds, not months. So that would be a pretty big um, a pretty big departure from the state of the industry today. And it relies on both the behavioral economics getting to a higher level of trust, but also clearly on artificial intelligence and algorithmically being able to process a ton of information that up until now has required a lot of paperwork, a lot of people's um, oversight. And just to follow up on, on the claims innovation that your business model brings, do you think has this informed your decision to launch uh, renters and, and homeowners insurance as sort of key key products, um, i.e. sort of high high volume uh, products? Do you think that sort of artificial intelligence driven claims adjustment would also work for more complex um, more complex products? You know. I don't know. We don't have deep expertise in any other domain. We've really thrown ourselves into homeowners. Um, it may be that other sectors are, are very different indeed. But I think that within property insurance, um, you know, we're, some, we're starting with homeowners, but you can see variants of, of other property insurance. The same would apply. So this has, I think, broad applicability. It would have to vary somewhat. Um, but I think that the lessons of look at what humans are doing and see wh which aspects of that really need to be done by people, which can be automated. Um, automate those that can be is something that is happening across industries um, and insurance isn't immune to it and shouldn't be. It does a lot of goodness for consumers when 
you can lower costs and get rid of paperwork and bureaucracy in the process. Can you talk a little bit about um, the consumers that, that Lemonade is targeting? Obviously, uh, you know, given um, the fact that you, you leverage technology and, and mobile and web to, to drive your platform versus uh, selling your insurance products versus bro uh, via brokers, you probably attract, um, you know, a, a younger demographic uh, than average. Can you can you talk a little bit about sort of what uh, your consumer base looks like and if it's what you guys anticipated it would be? Yes, Lemonade clearly does skew towards um, younger folk. Um, it's not exclusively younger folk. We, we saw on our very first day, so you've got to be a pretty early adopter to buy from an insurance company on its first day. On our very first day, a 72-year-old gentleman from the suburbs bought home insurance on his uh, valuable property. So um, the number and the, the range of people who today like to use technology to do stuff is obviously very broad. Having said all of that, this does skew younger. We're seeing amongst um, our users um, many um, in the 25 to, to 35 kind of range, um, urbanites by and large, and renters more than homeowners. And what we're finding, which is pretty interesting, is that over 80% of um, the folks who are coming in and buying insurance from Lemonade, are, uh, renters insurance from Lemonade, are first-time um, insurance buyers. Now, it's not that they've just moved in. It's just that they were turned off by the legacy insurance companies, didn't want to buy insurance from them, and now they're buying insurance for the first time. So we're managing to expand the market. We're, we're appealing to folks who until now were non-consumers, and through Lemonade, through the process that we described, through the lower price points, um, Lemonade's homeowner's insurance for, for renters starts at $5 a month. Um, which is oftentimes 70, 80, even 90% less than you'll pay for legacy carriers. Um, so for, for many folks, it, it's much less expensive, much less burdensome, and therefore it does appeal more to the young urbanites than to the um, uh, you know, older um, consumer or people who are already invested in um, an insurance policy in, in the suburbs. Um, that kind of 70, 80%, 90% savings um, is due to an oddity of the way insurance works today, and it is particularly pronounced for renters. With homeowners, or the more property you have, the less dramatic are the savings from buying lemonade insurance. And that's really to do with the overhead. So insurance companies working through brokers and through a human intense process, and through very high cost of acquisitions, you know, billions spent on advertising, they have such a high overhead that it's very inefficient for them to sell relatively cheap insurance policies, and they um, have to burden those policies with their overhead, and they end up with very high costs relative to the amount of insurance being sold. And it's an unfortunate side effect of the way the insurance industry works, because it means that the people who need insurance the most, those who are lower down the socioeconomic spectrum, end up having it the least and paying the most per quantum of risk. Whereas with Lemonade, because our overheads are lower, because our cost of acquisition and servicing our customers um, approach zero dollars, we're able to burden our policies with far less overhead and get much closer to the real expected losses that people have um, than any of their competitors can. And that translates into much lower 
entry-level costs for, for renters. So for all of those reasons, the technology, the cost, the behavioral economics, the distribution platform, this is something that appeals to um, younger people more than to others. So you, you mentioned a, a couple of statistics. Um, you know, I think Lemonade has published sort of the, the first uh, 48-hour results on, on your Medium account um, and shared that information with the world. Um, according to the Medium post, Lemonade sold 142 policies and generated 14,300 uh, 14, in gross ridden premiums in its first 48 hours. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, Lemonade's communication strategy and whether um, you know, you're concerned at all about sharing competitive data with uh, future competitors and or existing uh, traditional insurance players? Sure, we're concerned. Sure, we're concerned. You know, the kind of policy of transparency that we began with that post and we'll be continuing with um, has serious downsides. And there's a reason companies like to be private, right? People, companies go public because they want to cash in on their stock options and investors want liquidity. They don't do it because they want to have to publicize all of their information. They'd much rather keep that private. Um, they don't want, you know, they don't want their steps and missteps publicized. They want to keep their steps from their competitors. They want to keep their missteps from everybody else. Um, and those um, advantages of being a private company um, would accrue to us as well. So clearly the, the advantage of not broadcasting to our competitors and being selective in what we share with our customers has an appeal. Um, but I, I think it, the costs of doing that are too great for us. Um, we spoke about the distrust that pervades the industry. Um, and we're really trying to live up to a different kind of dogma, if you like. And we're laying claim to the moral high ground. We're saying that we are trusting and trustworthy. Um, and getting to that level of trust is something you have to earn. You can't just demand it. And we feel like to do that requires a greater level of transparency than um, tech companies usually give or, or than insurance companies usually provide. So we hope that um, the benefits of being transparent, of publishing, publishing um, data about how we're doing, um, sharing some of the insights of how we're thinking about things, um, some of the statistics, some of the analysis, we hope that that will um, signal the, the kind of culture that we have um, adopted for ourselves and that that will permeate through the relationship with our prospective and actual customers as well. And we think that you can trigger a virtuous cycle, um, that it's entirely possible to signal your trustworthiness and that consumers will ultimately repay that in kind. You pay it forward. You start off, you know, it's not only about transparency, it's all about, it's also about um, social impact. Um, we incorporated, even though we are a for-profit company, we're backed by venture capitalists like Sequoia and, and Google and others, um, we are also a public benefit corporation, which means that while we are for-profit, we are not only for-profit. We've actually received B Corp certification, which means that we're living up to and committing ourselves to high standards of transparency and social responsibility. So we are hoping that by putting the business on that kind of footing, we are not sacrificing any of the upside in financial terms. We're building a, a company that will, and a franchise that will ultimately be more valuable because of the difference to the incumbents, because its ability to broadcast and, and, and inculcate a culture of 
transparency and honesty. And if you consider how much the insurance industry is um, burdened by distrust, you know, let's open parentheses here for a second. Nobody knows for sure how much fraud hurts the insurance industry. Wikipedia quotes studies saying anything from 10% up to 38% of the money in the industry being consumed by fraud. But whatever the number is, um, the dollar amount understates the true cost to the industry because the existence of fraud on such a pervasive scale is a harbinger, it's an indicator of a deeper malaise that really plagues the industry. Because fraud typically is carried out by some hacker in Eastern Europe breaking into your system and that's who you're guarding against. In the case of insurance, it's anomalous. It's your customers who are defrauding you. It is they who are embellishing their claims. It is they who you treat as a criminal and they return the favor in kind. And that is highly unusual. And that comes back to what we spoke about earlier, this idea that insurance companies at least in part, make money by denying claims they are at odds with their consumer. Now, that's really odd. I'm going to be a little bit hyperbolic, but companies typically make money by delighting their customers. You buy an iPhone because you think it's delightful, and that's how Apple makes staggering amounts of money. That's great. That's what capitalism is all about. But it is, here's the hyperbolic part. Insurance companies make money by disappointing their customers, by being at odds with them. And that part breeds this kind of distrust and, and the fraudulent elements that we discussed about, the, the cost of which we discussed a minute ago. And that cycle really results in low loyalty, high cost of acquisition, people not wanting to buy insurance when they don't absolutely have to. So the costs radiate out far beyond the actual cost of the fraud itself into an experience that is um, cumbersome, distrustful, uh, um, and unpleasant. So for us, kind of close parentheses and come back. For us to to build a successful different kind of insurance company, it's got to be about more than just finding a cool app. It's got to be about putting the entire business on a different footing, on a footing that brings out the best in us, the best in you, and then allows technology to create a delightful experience because there isn't this overhang of me trying to um, delay or deny your claim, and there isn't your overhang of you trying to embellish your claim to cheat the system. And pu publishing posts like the first 48 hours post, um, and on, on an ongoing basis being more transparent and, and, and radiating honesty, if you like, is ultimately, we hope and we believe, a core part of building a different kind of insurance company, a new kind of insurance brand, and we expect we'll return uh, um, but you know, will return the favor and, and give us a return on investment, um, also in just pure financial terms as well. Great. Can can we dig just a little deeper on on Lemonade's social mission? You mentioned that the company is a, a certified B Corp, and that any unclaimed money uh, goes to social causes that policyholders care about. Can you talk a little bit about some of those uh, causes that? that you've seen policyholders uh, in, invest sort of that unclaimed money into and how you vet those those social causes? Yeah, we have a, a section on our website called uh, Fundraise, and it invites nonprofits to register and to become part of the, the Lemonade operation, if you like. Um, and although we've done nothing to promote this, we've already 
had well over 100 um, New York uh, causes. We started in New York. Um, register for that. And we've got some pretty big ones. We've got the, the Robin Hood Foundation and um, Clean Water and a, a bunch of others, uh, Meals on Wheels, a, a, a whole bunch of household names, and then some very small um, local charities, you know, public schools um, with a PTA wanting to raise money for you know, a new computer lab in their kids' school. And, and what they then do is try and create their own little community around that. So we think that this is a part of insurance kind of going back to its core. And so much of the sharing economy is about re reinstituting modes of behavior that were once commonplace and, and got lost with urbanization and with a distrust and, and the estrangement that the big cities brought, you know, 100 years ago at the end of the Industrial Revolution. And that's why the big insurance companies of today do date back to that period. But if you go back to insurance 300 years ago, it was a different affair. It was a much more communal affair. Um, and we think that recovering some of those elements would be good for everybody. So if you get a note from, um, you know, from the PTA, if you're a parent of young children and you get a note from the PTA saying, hey, guys, we've just registered the Lemonade. If you do your insurance through Lemonade, any leftover money from your policy will go towards our kids' new computer lab. That's got to be a win-win for everybody, right? For, for us, it's a, a better way of getting a, a community to uh, adopt Lemonade. It's, it lowers our cost of acquisition, which are savings that we can then pass on to the policyholder. Um, and for the community, it's clearly self-serving, right? It's a way to raise money for that new computer lab that they're looking to build. Um, and ultimately, it also brings out the best in you in, the, in terms of the behavioral economics. When you make a claim and we say to you, David, you know, oh, your computer was stolen. No worries. That's what insurance is for. But please remember when you make your claim that unclaimed money is going towards your kid's computer lab, um, you're much less likely to embellish your claim. And this is kind of the virtuous cycle that I was speaking about earlier. So we don't see giving money to causes as some kind of paternalistic act of charity. We see this as a clear-minded um, self-interest. Working with nonprofits um, is good for business. We don't think that we are sacrificing business for being socially responsible. We think that working with social causes and working in a, a socially forward-thinking way is actually good for business as well. So we, we really think of this as a win-win a win-win-win situation. We win, hopefully, the consumer wins and the causes win. We think that brings out the best in all of us. That's great. Um, it's you know, a really um, impressive mission and, and execution plan that you guys have laid out. Um, that definitely sounds like a win-win for, for all parties involved. Um, I guess my, my last question for you, and I think you alluded to this a little earlier, um, you were founded in, in 2015. Um, you recently raised $34 million in Series B funding. You're backed by big-time VCs, Sequoia, Google, among many others. Can you discuss a little bit about uh, you know, future plans for Lemonade, how you plan to deploy that capital? Um, I think you, you publicly announced that you were planning on expanding to California. Um, you know, can, you can you share a little bit about your thoughts of where Lemonade is headed in sort of the, the short-term, medium-term, and long-term? Gladly. So we, we are um, very fortunate to have um, some very well-reputed and, and deep-pocketed investors, like you mentioned Sequoia and, and uh, Google General Catalyst um, and others. Um, and insurance is not cheap. Um, I, I, Lemonade is unusual, I think unique amongst the insure, insure tech as it's become known as uh, space because 
we're not simply developing technology, we're actually um, the insurance company itself. So we, for reasons that we've spoken about in the last half an hour, we don't believe that the existing insurance infrastructure um, allows for the kind of innovation that we're hoping to bring to market. It really requires rebuilding the very basics, the, the building blocks, the business models have to be different, which means that to do what we want to do, we don't believe you can just sprinkle technology on top. You, you've got to build it from the core up differently. And that may sound um, hugely ambitious, but actually, in a, perhaps a contrary kind of way of thinking, but I think that it is an easier way of doing it. Affecting change by bringing technology to bear on 100 years of legacy is incredibly difficult. And starting with a clean slate, even though it means you have to build it yourself, I think ultimately stands better chances of doing something meaningfully different and therefore successful. So we are taking on um, a, a big a big challenge in, in erecting a new insurance company, a new insurance business model. Um, and that does require more funding than creating, you know, Pokemon Go or something like that. It's not something you can do out of uh, your dorm room necessarily. Um, but we and clearly our investors think that um, you create real value by challenging, by, by, by taking on big challenges. You create value by doing hard things. So um, we've raised a ton of money, but we're looking to build a new kind of insurance company. And we, we have, in fact, built a new kind of and launched a new kind of insurance company. And our ambitions um, continue to be expansive, um, both in terms of the lines, the product lines that we want to do. We started with homeowners and renters, but you can expect during the course of 2017 that we will expand into other uh, lines of business. And we started in New York, and you can expect during 2017 to see us expand geographically quite substantially. And yes, we've announced California, and um, our goals go beyond California too. So um, 2017 will really be a year for us to both experiment and iterate on the product, but we'll also start planting the seeds for broader product line expansion and broader geographic expansion. Great. And uh, wishing, wishing you and your team best of luck uh, with that. Thank with you so that, much. Uh, I, I think that concludes uh, this Warden FinTech uh, podcast interview. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And uh, we, we wish you best of luck with uh, your endeavor. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Bye for now.